What is up? You're listening to Start a Musician, a podcast for people who want to grow their careers as professional musicians. Just because you haven't published a new podcast episode since April doesn't mean you still don't have a podcast. So... As freelance musicians, we're in charge of our own careers. We're running our own individual startups. I'm your host, Brandon Shaw, and each episode I sit down with professional musicians. Those episodes might be spaced out by a few months or by a lot of months, but regardless, they're everywhere. Musicians making an honest living by doing something that they love. This is episode number 24. This week I talked to Corey Wong. Let's go. All right. So, yeah, it's been a while since I've put out a podcast episode. I've been super busy with lots of music projects, and it's been awesome, but I haven't had as much time to put out podcasts and articles for Start a Musician. But I wanted to make sure and get this episode out to you before the end of the year, which technically you got like a day or two, so it... It counts. Corey Wong is a guitarist who plays with artists like Ben Rector and Wolfpack. In June, as Wolfpack was passing through LA, we met up and had this conversation. I'm leaving it largely unedited, so you'll hear the full conversation, and this episode is a little bit longer. Buckle up, it's one of my favorites. I know I say that like every episode, like, oh, this is one of my favorite, and it's true every episode, but this time it's especially true. It's so... Good. Corey has so many good things to say, and he's so funny, and he tells what is, without a doubt, the funniest gig story that I've ever heard. It is, it's a riot. So let's let's dive in. Here we go. My name is Corey Wong. I play guitar and other instruments for bands. Right now, I'm with Wolfpack and Ben Rector. Those are my main gigs. I play sessions and tour and whatnot. Where do you live? I own a house in Minneapolis, well, just outside of Minneapolis. I live there, I grew up there, and I also rent a place in Nashville. I split my time uh, on and off between like being an even amount of time or depending on the season, if I'm on the road also, that sort of thing, yeah. Um, you say you grew up in Minneapolis? Yeah. Uh, did you grow up doing music? In Minneapolis? Kind of. Uh, I started playing music in seventh grade mm. and immediately was in a punk rock band. Of course. That was my catalyst for doing anything in music. And my dad was a huge music head, like super into like Weather Report, Hendrix, uh, all the weird stuff, like Mahavishnu Orchestra, like stuff that was weird to me at the mm. time. That Anything that wasn't Blink-182 or Green Day, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I was very fortunate to have my dad into music and playing it around all the time and got into it and started playing in bands, writing music from the get-go, and eventually it was just like what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Did you go to school for music? I did. First, right out of the gate, I went to the University of Minnesota for science, thinking mm. to myself, I put my own pressure on myself saying like, maybe music isn't a career I don't really know mm. maybe I should be an architect or maybe I should be a something with science because I was just kind of good at science mm. <laughs> whatever that means I was good <laughs> at science uh, so it felt like something natural to just get into but soon realized it wasn't really my passion mm. and then I went to McNally Smith College of Music in St. Paul okay. right across the river from Minneapolis and 
that's where I ended up graduating. What happened after graduation? Because you're still in Minneapolis. Yeah. Uh, what brought you back to? Well, I guess I guess your St. Paul's right across the river. I don't. I'm not familiar with the geography of the area. Yeah, it's the same city. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, Twins. That's Twin Cities, Twin right? Cities, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Did you ever, because I know like LA, New York, Nashville, and then obviously you have some stuff in Nashville. Um, did you ever try to move or like feel like you need to go to one of those or did you focus mainly on Minneapolis? And then also, when did you, because you split your time with Nashville. So tell me about that uh, split Yeah. location-wise. Out of the gate, I wasn't thinking... On a national level, I was just thinking, I want to make a living playing music and doing what I love to do. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking as big picture as maybe I should have. But also at the same time, maybe it allowed me to cut my teeth and make my mistakes locally mm-hmm. and then get into the national scene. So I started doing the Nashville thing four years ago, something mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, a few years out of college, a couple years out of college. And... Um, for that, I mean, I, I still to this day, I'm basically like one month away from full on just moving to Nashville is kind mm-hmm. of what it seems like. Because at this point, I work in Nashville and not really much in Minneapolis because mm-hmm. uh, most of the stuff that I'm doing is just based out of there. And right. I work in Minneapolis doing a lot of recording and writing and that sort of stuff. I do yeah. a lot of remote sessions, but can't quite pull the trigger to move to Nashville. Like my family, my wife's family is all based out of Minneapolis. So it's, we have our support system, all of our friends and family are there. And if I'm touring all the time out of Nashville, it's basically the scenario would be, all right, we're moving to Nashville. Let's go to this place where you don't know any, like my wife and kids don't have any family or friends there. We're going to move there. And two weeks from now, I'm going to leave for tour. Peace out. Right. <laughs> Hope you enjoy this new city I just moved you to, and I'm bailing. Right, you know, like, right. I don't want that to happen. I'm afraid of that happening. And the compelling reason would be something like I start getting so much more session work there. Mm-hmm. That would be the, the reason I guess I would have to move there. Yeah. But uh, I, I love L.A. We are in L.A. right now. Um, there's something about the weather and... I'm, I'm infatuated with LA and mm. would love to live here. Everything about me wants to live in California. It's just so expensive. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, we were having that conversation earlier about me owning a house in Minneapolis, and you'd be like, "I that, that concept is gone for for most yeah. people that live in California, and it is for me too. I couldn't afford the type of house that I have in Minneapolis is maybe a sixth of the cost as mm. it is here. Yeah. And there's like school system that's ranked 10 out of 10 all the way up through graduation. So it's like my kids could have, you know, basically what the the country is saying is the highest level public education that there is. Right. Is free for me. Right. You know. Yeah, that's... It's uh, (laughs) tough to move away from, right? Yeah. 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 And even in Nashville, the schools, this is something I have to think about now, like the, the school public schools in most in Nashville proper are ranked three out of 10, four out of 10, mm. unless you move to Williamson County in Brentwood or Franklin going deep Nashville, the schools are ranked nine out of 10, 10 out of 10. Yeah. But then like you're paying so much more down there. Like my right. house 
was $250,000 in Minneapolis. And to get the same house in Nashville, it would cost me four hundred and fifty. And here, that would be here like would be like six point five yeah. mil, yeah. Because <laughs> I have a yard. Six, Who has a yard <laughs> and a basement? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, uh, how far is Nashville from uh, Minneapolis? Thirteen hours. Wow. Or the entire serial podcast. Yeah. Well, <laughs> as far as a drive, that Speaking was the first from time. Yeah. <laughs> serial season one brought me all the way down to Nashville one drive. That's, that's an intense drive, then. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, listening to serial on the way. That's, yeah. That's intense. And actually, I, it's not the safest thing to drive thirteen hours by yourself. But I've kind of, I, I've learned to kind of enjoy it mm. in a weird sadistic way or something <laughs> I don't know uh, I, I do like three hours of podcasts two albums three hours of podcasts two albums or something Even like now, that yeah. yeah so yeah. I'm listening to music checking stuff out I got a f- couple friends from high school that can talk my ear off for a couple hours so like when, when I need to catch up with somebody it's right. like pop the ear earphones in <laughs> time and, to make some calls and make some calls yeah. you know and it's great because yeah it's that sort of thing makes the drive fairly easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. You said you uh, have been doing the Nashville thing for like four years? Yep. Um, how did you initially make that jump into the, like kind of the Nashville scene? I was playing for a little bit with this country singer, Brian White, and great friend of mine, awesome songwriter, and I was doing some gigs with him. We did the country music cruise, which... I'm not familiar. Please elaborate. I wasn't either. It was just, it's, you know, like one of those music cruises where you, it's a bunch of country artists, people there to see country music. So it was my first country gig and I, one of my only, I guess I've done a few. Hmm. Um, But I met people on that boat and ended up getting, like they saw me play with Brian and said, oh, you're a great guitar player. Can you do these gigs? We need a guy for this or, hey, I play with this band and we need somebody for this. And Eventually, I was just starting to get called for stuff down there. And in some cases, it was just like, do you live here? Will you just pretend that you live here so I don't have to fly you here? Like, guys would just say like, hey, I, I can't fly you down, but will you do the gig? It's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. I'll figure my... I mean, I have... I work the miles game with the credit cards. I'm the airline miles guy. Yeah. Uh, I actually would consider starting my own podcast regarding that. <laughs> Really? Yeah, it's another passion. <laughs> Credit card airline miles game. Huge for working musicians. I can fly basically anywhere and it's like nothing. It cost me $11 to fly anywhere because of like fees or whatever. So that being said, because I just use points. So I would fly down to Nashville a bunch or yeah. sometimes drive. and Yeah, and eventually started playing in the CCM world. I was playing... Uh, with this guy Brandon Heath who's a CCM guy in the C-Rock world and then starting to play with more artists there and that thing um, and that's when I started being down there like 10 days a month hmm. something like that and got a room at my friend's house who lived there and started storing my gear there started leaving my van there I would just leave my car there and uh, yeah <laughs> And from there on, it's just kind of built more and more. Yeah. 
and uh, the other guy I play for, Ben Rector, is based out of Nashville. So we rehearsed there, tour out of there, that sort of thing. Uh, did you get the... How, tell me how you got on the Ben Rector gig. Was that from being around in Nashville? That actually was a Minneapolis connection. My friend Steve Gould is a drummer. He was playing with Ben. They were a four-piece band, and Ben said he wanted another guy. And I think he just asked everybody, like, give me some options. Who who should the fifth guy be? And Steve recommended me. Hmm. Ben saw some videos of me playing on YouTube and saw a video of me playing with Wolfpack. Liked what I was doing. Called me via FaceTime. Well, he sent me an email like, hey, my name is Ben. Uh, I'm doing this tour. Steve recommended you. I'm wondering, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like 30 shows or something. I'm wondering if you're available these dates. And I, you know, transparently just didn't know who he was. Like, I had, yeah. I had heard his name because I knew that Steve was playing with him. Steve right. maybe posted online or something. Hey, I'm playing with this Ben Rector guy. And I had no idea what I was in for. I didn't know, like, hey, is it a bus tour? Who is it? Like, are we going to be in a van? Whatever. Right. And then we FaceTimed. I looked him up on Spotify. It's like, oh, this dude's legit. Yeah. This guy's great. <laughs> and he's got great music. We did a FaceTime interview. And he hired me. And that was it. Nice. There was no real like audition or anything. It was just videos of you and then talking. Yeah. Got to have your YouTube game together, man. People can <laughs> <Seriously>. find you. <laughs> so it's funny, but that is totally the way of the world now. Like even when I'm, when people are asking me like, hey, who would you recommend I'll recommend somebody and then tell them to check out some videos online. Yeah. The combination of my recommendation plus the YouTube thing is kind of good enough as an audition for most yeah. things nowadays. I've auditioned twice in my life and not gotten either gig. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them were like a personality thing though. Like I'm a smiley, happy person and these were like these 90s grunge bands. I just didn't, didn't quite fit, a good fit in. Yeah. yeah, it was great musically. Fit yeah. in, awesome. It was cool, but like the guys that they got were were the right guys. I wasn't yeah. the right guy for those gigs. Right. Yeah. Um, how did you get connected with Wolfpack? I was playing at Bunkers in Minneapolis, which is like this funk jam thing. Doctor Mambo's combo. Uh, the guitar player for that was having shoulder surgery. This band has been playing for like thirty years. Mm. It's like a bunch of Prince cats, like mm. new power generation guys, like Michael yeah. Bland and Sonny Thompson. Michael has been kind of like a musical mentor to me for years. He's really like where I started school yeah. for pop music and playing like gigs, getting, getting your stuff together to be ready for any like national level thing. He really yeah. whooped me into shape in the best way possible. Um, so I was playing with those guys. The guitar player had shoulder surgery. I came in originally just to play for like six months or something when he was out. And the Wolf guys were on tour with Darren Chris or something. And they were in town. We had a bunch of mutual friends. After their gig, they came to see Dr. Mambo's combo where I was playing. And I saw these guys in the audience like freaking out that you know we're loving the music you can kind of you know you can tell who musicians are in the crowd like right. if you're playing a gig <laughs> and you see dudes that are like they, they have this certain way that they watch yeah people the way that they're you know 
I, I don't know. You, I, I can always just tell where there's musicians in the crowd. Right. Whatever. And they look, they're my age. And I was like, oh, who are these guys? How, they look like they would be my friends if they were in town. They obviously are musicians. I can tell. How come I don't know them? And then between sets, I came up and introduced myself. And turned out we had a bunch of mutual friends. Blah, blah, blah. We went out for breakfast the next morning. At the time, I was coming to L.A. a lot, doing a lot of work out here. So I would hang with those guys when I was here. Started playing together a little bit. And that's that. Sweet. Yeah. And as we record this, you're uh, in the middle of tour. Mm -hmm. So you guys are in L.A. How long uh, have you been out so far and how much do you have left? This is a 20-show tour. And what we've been doing... So this is a unique tour. This is not like other tours that I've done where we have multiple days in each city, which is cool. Yeah. So most of the time it's two shows in each city. We did two weeks on, 10 days off, two weeks on. Hmm. And we're in the final, I think we have five shows left. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tell me about some other stuff that you've done. Because I know you've done like production stuff, uh, commercial stuff. Um, talk to me about that world. Yeah. So as far as producing, I really cut my teeth in college because my best friend was running kind of the GM for this record label that was doing tribute albums. Hmm. And they were just kind of like these generic music albums and also like tribute albums to artists where it'd be like, lullaby tribute to Radiohead or <laughs> like acoustic guitar tribute to whoever. Right. There's a handful of labels out there that have been doing this. I'm not going to tell you any of the actual records because I don't want you to hear them. <laughs> I don't want anybody because <laughs> here's <laughs> here's how I don't sure I actually just said the radio. I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> it was uh, and, and I'll tell you the numbers of what it was. This was in 2000 eight or whatever when I graduated college. So I was in college. My friend was running this label and they were putting out these records several a month. And it was just like $3,000, do this 12 song album, uh, have it for me ready in 10 days. Wow. And they would just say a list and the concept of the album. So like acoustic guitar tribute to whoever Here's the songs. And it's, and it's just you. Yeah, like put it together. They, yeah. I, they just hired me to produce it. It was just a flat rate, three grand work for hire thing. And I did a bunch of those records. And when you're in college, you know, three grand in 10 days. Frick, man, that's, that's a ton a of money. Lottery, yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude, I, I mean, I had never seen that kind of money before. Yeah. So um, he was hiring me to do a bunch of records. I had just... I mean, I've been recording since I was in like eighth grade. My dad, I begged my dad for this Boss BR-8 <laughs> recording thing on zip drives. Oh, yeah. You know, so producing is something that I've been doing since I was in middle school, but just wasn't like the thing that I was doing in college. I took a lot of time off because I wanted to be a guitar player, you know, whatever. So the $100 a night local gigs, $150 a night compared to producing records where I could just be at home, you know, like 
dicking around on my computer making my own arrangements of these songs felt like something really cool to do so uh i was doing a lot of those records really figured out how to kind of mix and record and edit and all that stuff by doing that i did probably you know over the course of several years i don't know a lot of those records i did tons of those records and it was great. Sometimes they were 20 songs. Sometimes it was 12 songs. Mm. Always the same rat, flat rate. Always a yes whenever they would say, can you do this? Like, can you do, you know, jazz versions of some obscure rap artist or something? It was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'll figure out a way. Like, and it was always this weird adventure. And the cycle was always like... Absolutely, yes, I'm in. Listen to the songs. Freak out. How am I going to do this? I, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have 10 days. Why am I, I have doing nine music? days now. Why am I doing music? Right. What's wrong with me? Like, why did I say yes? Are you an idiot? What are you thinking? Like, and then it was like, no, I got this. And then just getting into breaking it down to learn the song, figure out the form. What are the chords and the melody? Let's break it down to the simplest form. Make the arrangement. And just eventually learning to not second guess my instincts on a lot of things. Once I learned to trust my instincts, once I developed the skills, of course, right. trust my instincts and go for it, that helped my skills as a producer. Mm-hmm. And especially today, nowadays, like you work with bands that wanna just try every idea in the world, which is cool, but sometimes it's just trust your instincts. This is what this needs. This is how we're going with it. Boom. And that's how you can get a lot of stuff done in a short right. amount of time. Right. You know? So that's kind of where that journey started for me. And then I started producing records for bands, stuff that was more artistic. I burned out on the playing, just doing generic music that didn't matter that my name was not attached to other than the check. Right. <laughs> you know, and the, the work for hire agreement, yeah. which is totally fine. Like I'm, I'm totally cool with that. I'm glad that that's the way that that played out mm-hmm. because I got to really shed the on the spot. Boom. This is how I'm making an arrangement. Boom. This is how I'm going to mix it. They're all done. Right. And then just let it go. Right. You know, there was some of that stuff that I got to shed, uh, early in my career to to help me build skills and you know instincts and just learn how to do the process really fast so that actually ended because the guy that actually owned the label that was writing the checks was laundering money <laughs> for <laughs> this Ponzi scheme <laughs> <laughs> I am free of guilt but it was dirty money that I was receiving so the whole thing was messed up <laughs> it is funny to say out loud like I can't even say it without laughing I can't say it to anybody without them laughing like the dude that was hiring us to do this was laundering money and he was he owned this catalog he paid for this catalog to happen and what ended up happening is this Ponzi scheme <laughs> happened and all these guys that were involved went to jail and their stuff went up for a receivership or something, right? Uh-huh. So I didn't know that word before this whole experience. I'll say I don't know that word currently. So I think my understanding is guys that are involved in that sort of thing, all their assets get seized up and some government guy or girl, some agency says, 
this stuff is ours now. We're going to sell it to pay back the people that you screwed over or something like that. Uh. So this catalog was owned by this guy and this label was owned by this dude that my best friend and I were working for him. Well, my best friend was kind of managing the label. He had no idea. None of us had any idea. Uh-huh. This came by like total surprise. It's like, oh yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to jail next week or something. Like I got busted <laughs> for being involved in this Ponzi scheme. And my friend and I were like, what? <laughs> well, do you want me to finish the next record or not? Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, I have a record due uh, next week. Am I still going to get paid for that? Or? So what ended up happening is this catalog was up for auction and nobody knew where any of the CDs were because at this point it was moving over to digital. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this content was just up on the internet. There was no physical product. Mm-hmm. And the types of people that were going to these auctions to buy the stuff from the receiver didn't really understand intellectual property, I guess, or mm-hmm. like digital distribution. They, they were just like, next up to be auction, you know, this guy's house and then this guy's, you know, Maserati. Those are things that you can see and you can, you're looking at it right there. Right. Sure, I'll, you know, I'll, I got 10 grand for a starting bid on a Maserati, right. but then when it's like, <laughs> Next up, uh, rights to this catalog of music, of this generic music that <laughs> nobody knows who actually made it or what it's all about. I was like, ah, what? I, I don't see it. I don't, I don't get it. So it was right. up for auction. Nobody saw it or like understood. Huh. So it actually didn't even get sold. Oh. So what ended up happening is my friend who was working for the label communicated with the receiver and we bought the catalog for like nothing because nobody would buy it. Yeah. Nobody knew what it was. Right. Nobody even knew that it existed. Other, like it was on online at iTunes. It was, you know, being distributed through whoever, I don't know, one of the big, it wasn't like TuneCore or anything because mm-hmm. it was all cover songs for the most part and like generic Irish music for uh, St. Patty's Day, you know, right. like that sort of thing. So we ended up buying this catalog and we've owned this catalog ever since. And, you know, it made an okay amount of money through for, you know, a handful of years. We've more than made our money back. And now Hmm. it it makes, you know, a few hundred bucks a month for us. Hmm. And it's cool. And it's just dwindling more and more. And the catalog's worth less and less now. Yeah. But it's totally fine. Like we made our money back. yeah. Yeah. And, wow. and I'm not going to tell anybody any of the records that it is. They're just, <laughs> they might end up finding it at some point. They won't even sound like me. Yeah. I'd be embarrassed. I'd, I'd be fully embarrassed. <laughs> Actually, one of the artists that I did a, a, one of their songs, there was an interview asking about this record that I did of there's like, hey, I heard that there's this tribute album of you. And they played it for him. They're like, oh. That's interesting. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's me. <laughs> and my dad saw the interview. But the thing is, at the time, I was living at home, cutting this record in my in my room at my dad's house. He's like, hey, that record that you were doing last week, like, or like you know, a few months ago, I there was an interview with this dude on Kimmel, <laughs> and and they played the song for him. He's in a hotel room in San Francisco, calling me like, turn on Kimmel right now. They they're playing the song. <laughs> 
I was like, no, no, dad, don't, 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 don't tell anybody. That's, That's amazing. I mean, it was all legit, but it's just yeah. the, the music. I'm not proud of my performances or arrangements. Right. Like I said, if it's like 20 songs in 10 days, right. You just go, yeah. you know, uh, how many songs are in that catalog? Hmm. Probably 1500, 1700. Oh my gosh. And how much of that is you? Probably 600, 700 of those songs. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is insane. That's yeah. so much music. Dude, it's a ton of music. Wow. And not only that, it's a ton of bad music. <laughs> <laughs> and not even that, it's a ton of bad music that I recorded. <laughs> it's this... Uh, but you know what? I... At the same, I'm equally, like, I, I'm equally proud of it because it, it, it was part of my journey. It's part of what helped me learn yeah. so much of what I, what I know today. Yeah. There are some arrangements in there. There's like a few songs that are like, oh man, I, I just tested out this stuff. It was like a testing ground too for harmonic stuff mm. of, for arranging. Here's this melody of this song. Well, what if I reharm it this way? Or what if we do this? And then I would figure out stuff that would work. Yeah. And it was most of the time just like, I'll try this thing. And then that would just be what it is mm -hmm. because there's so little time to actually right. do stuff that it was great because I could, I could figure that out. Yeah. And now it's just, you know, pay the mechanicals. Well, somebody else, the distributor handles pay the mechanical royalties. I, I, oh, okay. I haven't had to deal with that. So Good. as far as business side, if you're recording cover songs, you need to pay the writers, you know. Yeah. So, obviously, we don't own the publishing on those songs. Some of them, if they're public domain, mm. you get the writer's share or whatever. So, like, uh, there was one record that was acoustic Christmas something where I was the arranger. And in, this ca in the case where it's public domain, I'm the writer. Right. So, uh, another numbers thing. With that record the acoustic there was an acoustic guitar version of first noel or something that i did that got put on some pandora christmas playlist yeah. and i didn't know about it until i saw my ascap statement and it was like seven hundred and twenty-five thousand plays on pandora it's like dope <laughs> sick <laughs> you know and it's like I see the see the check and it was twelve dollars and thirty five cents or something. It's like, uh, man, I'm still ordering from the left side of the menu at Jimmy John's with that kind of money, you know? Like, <laughs> I'm, I, but whatever. I mean, I don't know what to think about. It. Like, for me, I didn't grow up making. 9.1 cents per whatever as a writer. Mm -hmm. Like I know right now there's a lot of <coughs> money for streaming and money versus blah, blah, blah as a writer, owning the masters, that kind of stuff. I, I didn't grow up with anything other than what I know now. Mm -hmm. So when I see 725,000 plays and I see $12, that's just what I know. Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, the numbers are kind of weird because I don't even know that I could buy 725,000 blades of grass at Home Depot for $12, you know? So right. what are these plays worth? What is what is this music worth that I, that I may? I, I don't really know. But mm. 
I try not to get into that because I know there's there's people that think about it a lot more than I do, and I just know that I'm happy to make a living playing music. Uh, yeah. And I'm happy that there's people out there fighting on our behalf to just make sure that it's fair. Yeah. That's cool. That's all. I, I just hope that it's fair. You know, right now I'm just gonna keep working and doing my thing. Mm-hmm. And for my music, I put uh, the it's best one. I put it on Bandcamp because Bandcamp is just direct to artists. You know. Right. Outside of maybe PayPal fees or something? Yeah. How I think does that work? I think it's like, I forget that the way they calculate it, but I think it's like 10 or 15%, but it's like per $10 or something like that. Sure. I'll have to look that up, but yeah. yeah. Bandcamp's been my, my favorite as far as my record, because first off, well, the album's up for like suggested $6 or something. And some people just give me 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. You know, some people just pay the six and that's totally cool. But also, you know, you get their email. So you know who the person, like you, you get some contact info. Right. For More email than just list. like this person streamed it. Yeah. And this person actively likes my music because they bought it. Mm-hmm. You know, if the person spent $15 to buy my record that I asked six for, well, they're probably going to be interested in the other stuff that I'm doing. So right. I'll put them on my email list. Yeah. And if they don't want to be on the email list, they'll just unsubscribe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever. Um, so there's ways to, that I'm finding like, you know, that also feels like pulling a fast one. Like I'm asking you for six bucks and you gave me 10 bucks. That's super kind of you. That's yeah. so great. You just gave me 720,000 plays on Pandora <laughs> by your generosity. <laughs> you <Right. know>? like, <laughs> or whatever, you know, the equivalent. Yeah. So... I don't know. I, I have a different outlook on that. Maybe it's just because like, I, well, I don't know why I'm just not letting myself get too flustered with it when maybe I should, but I feel very fortunate that I'm just doing my thing and making a living and, and have a house and you know, I'm comfortable. Yeah. So, um, talk to me about your solo stuff that is separate from the acoustic guitar tribute <laughs> stuff, the solo stuff that you're proud of. Uh, tell me about that uh, project. Yeah, so my music now, I'm going under the name Corey Wong. Imagine that. Uh, <laughs> and it's just like a funk record. It's mostly instrumental music. And I just, I released an EP this last year and now I'm working on finishing up a full length record mm. which has more vocals and stuff like Antoine from Wolfpack is singing on a couple Sweet. tunes my friend Cody Fry from the Ben Rector band is singing on a tune um, Michael Bland the drummer is singing on a tune it's super fun um, and I have some stuff where I'm singing too but most a lot of it's inter- instrumental Yeah, and I accompany it with like green screen music videos, which are super fun <laughs> for Those me are to fantastic. do. <laughs> Thanks. It's it, it's been equally fun trying to figure out my sound as a musician, but also coming up with my sound, like my thing visually, mm-hmm. and it's been driving a different type of inspiration. Like like we were, we were talking earlier at this coffee shop that. It's fun for me to have an out, an artistic outlet outside of just music where I can express myself and do something fun, but also just like totally free of the same self-criticism that I have with music. Mm. Like I have a degree in music. I'm supposed to be good at music. I've been doing music for so many years. I'm supposed to be good at music. Mm-hmm. 
I've been doing stuff on Final Cut Pro for like 11 months. <laughs> I don't, I shouldn't be any good. So I, I have no expectations for myself. Yeah. Like I figured out some tricks and, you know, I feel like at this point I've gotten actually okay at editing. Like I, I'm proud of my videos. Like yeah. I'm, I love doing it and it's so much fun for me. But it's a different expectation in my head artistically and execution wise as well. Mm-hmm that I don't hold the same sort of self, uh, I guess, like I said, like self-criticism for what I'm doing. So it, it's a it's a little actually in some ways more freeing yeah. artistic endeavor because I don't have the expectation tied to it. Nobody's expecting me to be an amazing video editor. Right. But they're expecting me to be really good at guitar because yeah. that's what I do, right? So it's fun to do this. And uh, it also is a way for me to spend my time on tour and on airplanes and stuff. For this tour, we're flying everywhere. So uh, it's fun to do it. It's great. Yeah. 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 That's my my artistic endeavor right now is putting on my record, doing my videos, my YouTube, my Instagram stuff. It's just fun. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, Tell me, uh, I think there's a fairly long list. Uh, tell me some people that you've worked with, cool, cool gigs you've played. Um, yeah, R- run me down the the resume yeah. list. Um, well, I'm having a ton of fun playing with Wolfpack. This is like a dream come true. This is a blast. These guys yeah. are so much fun to play with, and just getting to do my thing and playing my sound. I think it's fun when you can at some point develop your own sound and your own voice on your instrument. And I feel like I've been working on it for the last several years and just stumbled across my thing. Mm -hmm. And the way that I knew it was when I would start to do a bunch of sessions around Minneapolis with a bunch of my friends. And they would say, gosh, that just sounds so Corey Wong. That sounds like Corey Wong. That sounds like you. And I was like, oh yeah, I mean, duh it's, it's me playing of course it sounds like me and then I would have other people say stuff and they would say oh man you've got such a thing like you I want you to do your thing and the, the thing that you do rather than like a lot of times you'll hear somebody say I need guitar mm-hmm. or I need big guitars washy guitars funk guitars whatever mm-hmm. that is somebody looking for a generic guitar thing but sometimes people will ask I want you to do your thing And now that I've started to hear that more, I've realized that I have a sound and I have a voice that is a little more unique. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel super proud of that. And I'm, I'm glad that I kind of stumbled into it and I I had to work for it, really find artistically and physically on the guitar. I have some things that were like, Oh, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to sound. This is what I want my tone to feel like my attack, all that stuff. And now I feel like I've come into it. Um, so with Wolfpack, Jack wants me to do my thing and sound like me, which is super cool. And other gigs, people want me to sound like the guy that played on their record, you know, like big power chords, whatever, or just generic guitar guy. That's totally fine too. And I'll get hired to do that kind of stuff because somebody will say, Hey man, I I'm looking for a guitar player. I need somebody who can execute somebody who will learn the parts, come in, be a pro, have the tones, right? have the sound <clears throat> together, show up prepared. And then on day one of rehearsal, I just play the thing down exactly as is 
that's totally cool. But it, there's a different expectation and a different personal buy-in mm. when you can be yourself within something. Yeah. And what I've started to do, most of the gigs that I'm getting called for now are more of they want me to be me rather than just generic guitar guy. So that's kind of cool yeah. because I can play the parts off their record, but kind of do it in the way that I would do it. Right. Um, like with Ben Rector, Ben is a very particular artist. He has a strong vision of what he wants. He's an incredible musician and writer and has great vision. So he, as a leader, allows us, well, he sets up the, the climate for us to learn everything as is, but then gives us freedom to like, here's the playground play in it. Like here's the right. fences. Here's where the fence is or what, I don't know. Maybe that's a bad analogy, but no, for you. all of us to, to be able to, to, to serve, to play a part that serves the same purpose as what was on the record. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, obviously if it's a hook, you're playing the hook right? and do your thing within that. That's kind of the, the lane that I like to do in the pop world. Yeah. Is to have somebody who lets, let's just have a little bit of freedom rather than the exact thing that's, I mean, I like doing that too because it's, it's an execution exercise. Yeah. You know, and a brain, like a, a self-control thing. But playing those sort of gigs where you get to do your own thing along with playing the specific part just feels you know, like I said, like a little more personal buy-in mm -hmm. and personal investment in what's happening. Right. You know, um, cool artists that I've played for right now being with Wolfpack is a blast. Super fun to play with. Great friends. Ben Rector band are some of my best friends. It's been fun to tour with them for the last few years. Also. Um, I did a lot of stuff in the CCM world, like with Brandon Heath, Jason Gray, this band, loving the outcome, Nicole Norderman, so in that world, I did a lot of that. I played on the new Mandisa record, which is super cool. That one, the producer like was, in a lot of cases, just told me to do my thing. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised at some of the guitar stuff that they kept in. Oh, yeah? Because I took a I, I knew I was taking a couple risks on like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to send this to him if he's going to like it. Yeah. But he was like, dude, I can't believe you did it. That's so cool. Nope, nobody else in Nashville is doing that. Mm -hmm. And, get, and then he would send me like 12 other songs. <laughs> so that's what kind of tipped me off. Like, yeah, why don't I just do my thing? And if people don't right. like it, you know, I don't know. They'll, they'll get whoever else. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of what led me to that part. Part of what reassured me in that journey. Yeah. Um, this guy, Dave Barnes, is another guy to Nashville that I have played with. I'm going to record with him next month. Great artist, songwriter. Um, and my craziest gig ever was this gig I did. Uh, I was playing with Gene Simmons. So this is a few years ago. Gene okay. Simmons from Kiss. And there was this insane scenario that did not feel real, doesn't feel real, but I assure you that it is. <laughs> <laughs> so I got called to do this thing, this event, this um, like medical missions Thing. Uh, Starkey Hearing Foundation does like cochlear ear plants, cochlear implants and like hearing aids, uh, <clears throat> that sort of stuff. And they were holding this big gala and the main entertainment was Katy Perry and Gene Simmons right before her, which in general, like 
story over. That's it, right? Okay. No, the story's not over. <laughs> the keynote speakers for this event are George W. Bush, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, and Tony Blair. Right? This thing is insane. What year is this? This is, uh, I don't know, three years ago. Okay. okay. So, <laughs> again, the story could be over here, but no. <laughs> Okay, it's Katy Perry, the headliner, Gene Simmons playing right before her. Intermingled in this thing is George W. Bush speaking, Tony Blair speaking, super inspiring. He, he had this inspiring message. It was great. Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton. This is pre-election. This is a few yeah, years ago, right? Yeah. Like, nobody knew whether she was running for office or mm. whatever. And I think she even hinted, like, something. So I think she actually said she wasn't running or something. I, I don't remember. Whatever. Uh so we're at this event and we show up to sound check. I had not met Gene yet at the time because I got hired in through his MD or whatever, or the guy who was MD. And <laughs> I show up, I got my Les Paul, you know, you got to have your rock guitar, you know, the black <laughs> yeah. Les Paul and good, get to rehearsal. I had everything learned note for note. I figure you know, that's what he's going to want. And then if I need to do my thing, whatever, I'll do my thing. I don't think Gene Simmons wants to hear <laughs> Corey Wong's sound on his songs. Like, yeah, that's that's one of those times where you just need to exercise a little bit of judgment. Right. <laughs> say, like, no, he's not looking for what I do. He needs some rock right. Star, right? So show up at the rehearsal. He's like, kid, come over here. You sound great. He's like, during the solo... I need you to run over to me. He, well, he goes, first off, are you wireless? Yeah. <laughs> I have my wireless rig, fortunately. I, I, actually, it's just like part of my rig that I bring everywhere. Yeah. So I kind of always have it with me. Are you wireless? Yeah. Great. Right before your, four bars before your solo, I need you to run out to me. I'm going to be center stage. And there was like a thrust. He's like, I need you to go out to the front, like this thing that goes out kind of uh, into the crowd, you know? Not a catwalk, but just like a miniature right. thing that just goes out. Part of the stage. Yeah. She's like, I need you to run over to me, but I need you to do like the Chuck Berry duck walk. Like the... <laughs> <laughs> so I got four bars where I'm bolting a duck walk, playing this guitar part, over to Gene, centered stage, front and center. And he's like, all right, I want you to go out on the thrust during the solo and play the solo. And we got some steps. Like, I got these things that I went... Because he wasn't playing bass. He was just singing. There was a okay. bass player for the gig. So, this during... Uh, what's that? Rock and roll all night party every day or whatever that song yeah, is called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> I go out there right before the solo. He's like, we got steps. There's some, like, stuff that I want you to do with me. You know, showbiz stuff, right? So, we, I do the duck walk, walk over there. He's showing me the steps he wants to do. And he's like, the last four bars of the solo, the last part of the solo... We're gonna just do some other stuff. Like I'll I'll talk to you on the like I'll I'll yell it in your ear what I want you to do. Like okay sure whatever. So we get to the gig. I don't quite realize what's what I'm in for. Other than it's just like crazy. I'm playing with Gene Simmons and like it's this for George W. Bush, Hillary Clinton, all these people. Yeah, in it's the crowd. insane. Yeah. Okay. So, and then I hear about all these other people are there because it's like this you know highbrow event and as I mentioned Gene and I are both in tuxedos <laughs> right? like Gene Simmons in a tuxedo story over <laughs> playing with Gene Simmons in a tuxedo story over you're like there's just so many things that are just funny right there so then we get to the gig at night our time is up to go play for this song 
do the thing, duck walk over to him, do the Chuck Berry. And I'm looking out and in the front row, okay, so like it's this huge event center thing. Huge, it's great. Front and center, head table. I mean, it is literally George W. Bush, his wife, uh, is it Laura or Barbara? Laura, Laura. I think Laura, yeah. Yeah, okay. W's wife right next to him. Hillary and Bill, so Bill and W are sitting next to each other, and it's Hillary and Laura Bush. Tony Blair, some uh, British Secret Service or something. Uh-huh. Uh, a couple Secret Service guys behind the, pres- the ex-presidents. Katy Perry sitting next to Hillary Clinton. Katy Perry is like handler or something like that. What, whoever, I don't know, somebody with her. Uh-huh. And... <laughs> In front of them, right next to them, Lou Ferrigno, the Hulk. <laughs> uh, that guy, what's that football player? Ocho, Ocho, uh, Ocho Cinco, Chad Ocho Cinco. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, guy. Yeah. Was he like on the Cowboys or something? I don't know what he was on. Okay, but yeah, something yeah, yeah, with yeah, the yeah. name Ocho who plays football. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who it is. That guy. Okay. And Cheech Marin <laughs> from Cheech and Chong. Right? Next to him, Frankie Muniz, Malcolm in the Middle. Dude, it was insane. These guys are all standing up right here in the front at this table. Like, seeing these, all these people like up and yelling and like, you know, arms up in the air. And I'm running out to the front. I start playing the solo. I'm looking out like, you have got to be kidding me. What is happening? This is not real. This can't be real. I was thinking, this this is not. And I I have lucid dreams every so often. I was saying to myself, this is a really cool lucid dream. Like, this is insane. Like, why would Frankie Muniz and, and Lou Ferrigno and that Ocho guy and Tony Blair, like, what documentary? Like, was I flipping through the channels? And, like, Malcolm in the Middle was on. And then the Hulk was on. And then it was, like, CNN. And then, like... BBC or something like that's the only explanation and it's it's all it's all this is all rolling through my head as I'm playing the solo from rock and roll night or whatever and then I'm doing these steps with Gene he's looking over smiling yelling yeah 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 yeah," you know whatever and then like he kind of pushes me out front and I'm just right out front center on the thrust of the stage playing so he's like lean into me (laughs) and he's behind me I'm like Still just like, what's going on? He's like, lean into me. Like, what? He's like, like a trust fall. <laughs> he's just he's, he's yelling me off mic, like into my ear. So, here I, I go like this. I'm back here this. I trust fall. But I don't like fully trust. Like, yeah, I, I lean back into Gene. And I'm playing this solo. Like, what's going on? And at that point, I my thing, you know, like an inception where he's got the thing where he spins the, the, <laughs> the, the, the totem yeah. or whatever. Like, am I am I lucid dreaming? My thing is when I lucid dream, I fly. As uh-huh. soon as I recognize, it's like I'm off flying. You know, it's like the best feeling in the world. So I saw a video of this from the from the gig. There was gig footage, and there's one point during that where I'm leading into Gene. And I'm kind of like trying to lift up because at one point and all this stuff is still going through my head. I'm like, this isn't real. 
Fly. Go, 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 go. <laughs> so fly. So I get up and I'm like, nope, not flying. This is, this is. And then Gene Simmons takes his sunglasses off, puts them on my face, upside down on my eyes. As I'm leaning into him and he's giving up the rocks. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's like singing. Solo's done. He like boots me over to the side of the stage. And it's like... Uh, wow, whoa, what was that? I look over at the empty, and he's just got this look on his just like, I, I, I don't know, bro. I'm like, ah. and I just have this dumbfounded, like, hilarious, like, uh, look oh. on my face. Oh my gosh, I'm crying. That is so funny. It was insane. Oh. I mean, being in this business, you never know what's gonna. Be. Okay, then additional prelude. Forward to the book. <laughs> Do you know who Lee Greenwood is? Um, no. He's the guy who wrote that song, uh, God Bless the USA. Okay. God bless the USA. Whatever. From the hills of whatever to blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. That God Bless the USA song. You yeah. Would, yeah, we, yeah. So he is supposed to do like the opening of the whole show. He shows up. No band, just like, all right, got charts, you know, who's playing? <laughs> he shows up, Lee Greenwood, just like, I, I need a band, blah, blah, blah. He's got his thing. The MD put these charts together. This dude, Michael Nelson from the Hornheads, friend of mine from, from back home, brilliant music director, like trombone player. He's like the new power generation. He was Prince's mm-hmm. arranger and all these people. Sick. He puts this whole thing together for that. And Lee Greenwood travels with an eagle guy. <laughs> and what that means oh, is this. <laughs> <laughs> There's an eagle guy. Bald eagle guy. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Not just any eagle guy. The bald eagle guy. Which has like a posse that travels with him too. He's like a rock star in like the bald eagle game. Right? So Lee Greenwood travels to these places and does God I guess, Bless the USA. Yeah, I guess it's God Bless the USA. You have to have a yeah, bald yeah, eagle. I'm a, yeah. So Lee gets up to start the thing. We have no idea what we're in for. I'm kind of like at this point, kind of on the, the stage, most stage left on the stage for this opening part. Not for Gene's set. So for like the Lee Greenwood thing, we're playing with him too. He goes out, sings God Bless the USA. At the end of the song, God bless the US. Big trash can. Eagle guy comes out from side of the stage. This gigantic bald eagle walks right in front of me. Like the guy's walking the... You know, like this eagle comes up. Boom! He releases the eagle. Indoors, right? We're indoors. Eagles flying around, flying around this building. Lights are going, lights go dark. Boom! Spotlight on the back wall. There's America. There's an American flag up on this like huge thing. Eagle guy number two, like assistant eagle guy, is behind the American flag. As soon as the spotlight hits it, you see this fist go up in the air. The eagle. Lands on top of the American flag is like the most epic. Like, wow, what? <laughs> what just happened? Oh, and, and that's what kicks off this whole night. Like, oh. this is this is before the speeches. This is before Gene and Katy Perry. Like, 
think about that, dude. It was the most insane thing ever. Like, it was... <laughs> like, how are these... How do these events exist? I mean, how do you pull that off? Well, you know when you're the number one eagle guy in America? <laughs> yeah, You've got to. Yeah, dude. That's amazing. It was crazy. Oh, my god. It was gosh. crazy. That was, the, that was the craziest gig I've ever done. And actually, for me also... The most exciting part about it was that I heard that Shooter McGavin was in the audience. He was like there, and the whole time I'm playing with Gene, I'm looking for looking Shooter for McGavin. <laughs> oh, he's uh, Christopher something. I forget his last name. Yeah. But it's like my favorite character out of a movie. Happy Gilmore is my favorite movie of all time. When I knew Shooter McGavin was there, Tony Blair, who I don't care. I'm looking for Shooter. <laughs> Did you ever find him? Uh, by the time we got done playing, I think, I think he was MIA. I think he maybe left or something. And by the time I got out of backstage, but the, the night was just too much for him. He couldn't. Yeah, <laughs> he couldn't hang. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's amazing. Yeah. So shooter, if you're out there, hit me up. <laughs> If you're listening to start a musician, if you're looking to start a career as a musician shooter, hit me up, man. Hit me up. Oh my start goodness. Start a band. What advice would you give to a younger musician uh, trying to get their career going? I think my biggest piece of advice would be that find a way to make a living and get by, but do something that artistically satisfies you. Mm. because in the end I think you're going to feel better having something that you can point to and say that's me that's something I did that I'm very proud of this is something that I spent my time on and I, I was a good steward with my gifts and my resources my friendships my relationships skills all that stuff rather than just saying ah, I just I did that gig because I I made 300 bucks mm-hmm. you know like $300 gigs are going to come and go and when you're older you're going to still be able to do more stuff but you might not have as much energy and you mm-hmm. might not have that youthfulness that you have now and also people might not want to hire you as much because you're older mm-hmm. like I know I have friends that were playing for these big pop artists that are incredible musicians but got canned because there was somebody younger and looked cooler mm-hmm. Wow, that's a bummer. Yeah. Uh, that's part of the deal, I guess. But also, don't lose sight on why you got into the game. Mm. I did for a while. When I first got into music, like I said, I, I was playing in a little punk rock band in seventh grade, like with my best friends at the time. We were learning how to play music. We were a band. Mm-hmm. We were hanging out. That was like part of the dream, just wanting to be like a band and doing our thing. And somewhere along the line, uh, I lost some of that mm. and was just like working guitar player guy, which I think is important to do, but not totally lose the vision of... Like when you're a kid, you don't dream about, oh man, someday... I'm going to grow up and I'm going to play Canon and D at this person's, you know, some random person's wedding. Right. You know? Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll play classical guitar at your wedding. Mm-hmm. But it's not like that's what I dreamed about doing. You know, mm-hmm. like, 
make a quick 500 bucks or whatever in the afternoon. Yeah. Like a lot of ceremony gigs, you know, three to 800 or a thousand dollars, depending on the type of wedding, <clears throat> doing what you do. But I mean, that's great. That's awesome. And some people that's, that's a noble thing to do. But I think I lost sight of the artistic endeavor at some point and then had to kind of rein it back in. Mm. I was thinking, man, I'm, I want to start a family. I want to, I want to have a house. I want to have a car. I don't want to have to like think about how I'm going to get groceries and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, just taking whatever gigs and not allowing and scheduling time for myself to do my own artistic endeavors. That was something that I think set me back by a few years. Hmm. So I'm on the, I'm on the other side of the hill now of kind of coming back around to it and yeah. feeling really good. And especially like being part of a community and part of a crew where everybody's building each other up. Yeah. Like the, the Wolf community, Wolf Peck guys, we're all always talking about music, always talking about the industry, always talking about like the thing mm-hmm. and helping each other out and like musically being involved in each other's projects and stuff is super fun and super cool that it's a community building thing rather than just like a transaction, Mm -hmm. a musical transaction. Mm -hmm. And I think for a while, a lot of my friends too that I went to college with got caught up in the musical transaction rather than the pursuit of an artistic thing, statement, whatever. If you could give advice to your 18 year old self, uh, what would you tell yourself? Go for it. Do it. Do you feel like you didn't when you were 18? I went to school for science when I was 18. Right. 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 Like something within me held back in some ways and maybe it was a good thing because it was almost like a, a rubber band thing or like a slingshot thing where it was like oh, I can't do it and then like mm-hmm. it released and I sprang forward and I totally dove in but by the time I decided to do music it was just like I was all the way in this is what I was made to do this is my calling I'm in and I haven't looked back a second since mm-hmm. never have I thought oh man maybe I should get a job at Wells Fargo <laughs> you know or anything like that or right. something you know like there's never been a, an ounce of doubt since then. I think because there was the time of, there was a couple years of figuring out like, should I do this? Yeah. And just all signs pointing towards yes. And rather than kind of having to open doors, being like pushed through them, hmm. you know? Yeah. And I don't take that for granted. It's been a huge blessing for me and it's been just like every step of the way I've been reassuring that this is what I was made to do. Yeah. But I had a lot of friends in college. My friends that I lived with in college were very encouraging about doing music. My dad, my parents were really encouraging like, yeah, do it. If that's what you want to do. Yeah. Of course. And then it was just figuring out like many of your listeners and everybody out there, like how do I make a living doing this? And it started with teaching lessons playing some local gigs. I had a band with my buddies, a jam band, and we would play gigs for not a lot of money, but it was artistically very satisfying. Right. Teaching lessons for, you know, 
25 bucks a pop or whatever. And then eventually, you know, if you could build up a 20, 30 students in a week, you can start making a lot of money to somebody in college. And that building, like finding more and more that there's a career in music in a lot of different ways. So my, my path was kind of like starting by teaching, playing some gigs here and there, doing some of the jobbing band thing, starting to play for other artists, starting to record more, and eventually starting to play for national artists. Then those artists really liked what I did live, so then I would start to record for them on their records, playing for more national artists, that sort of thing. And then, you know, I I haven't taken a look, I haven't analyzed the numbers, how they compare, but... Like in Nashville, kind of starting show rate for younger dudes, like two fifty a show or something with an artist, <laughs> like a touring act, and then the kids out of Belmont. Let's see if we can get somebody for two hundred fifty bucks a gig for this tour, and then guys with more experience are more in like the three fifty range. You get more. You're an MD. You can make four or five, six hundred, whatever. Mm. Like so. I don't know. Like, I think figuring out, not focusing on the numbers, but focusing on what's going to satisfy you mm-hmm. has always been like the thing for me. Yeah. I, I, I just want to be treated fairly. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing for people is just allow yourself to be treated fairly and call it out when you're not. Yeah. I think that's okay. I mean, do it in a diplomatic way, but just say like, hey man, I, I don't feel like this is really fair right now. And if, if that's how you really feel, then maybe you just, just quit or yeah. ask for more, <laughs> you know, and, and that's, that's okay. I think that's part of the deal. That's something that I've realized in a lot of situations that you can, in every other business, you negotiate stuff and people talk about numbers. Like you look online, manufacturing engineer, starting salary, whatever, or like, uh, all these things you look it up online but it's hard for us to know so the more you can talk within your community talk to guys that are doing it and find out oh yeah if I teach I could do this sort of thing and I could be home so I wouldn't have to tour if I'm touring I could you know loosely make this much money Mm -hmm. but it's all just in these couple months and then there's no time and I'm away from home maybe my ideal setup is just teaching and playing local gigs and then I'm always home right and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of those things that are that go into balance. Is one better than the other? I don't know. I think it's it's something that you have to analyze for yourself. What's gonna what's gonna feel like the right move for you? Yeah. For some people, it isn't touring nationally, or whatever, because that can be really stressful and hard on people. Like it's tough on the road a lot of times. Yeah. You know, it's great. We get to do a lot of fun stuff and play fun shows, but it is a lot of hard work. Yeah. Um, so the that balance is not for everybody you know and i'm away from home a lot that's just part of the deal that's what we we signed up for so that's what it is and i i've figured out a way my family we figured out a way to balance that but for some people i I, I, wouldn't be able to make that work so Mm. i'm gonna do gigs around town do sessions around town teach at a college or teach lessons privately that's totally cool and there's nothing 
in my eyes, it's not like one is better or worse than the other. It's just like what works for you, yeah. you know? So for people that are teaching, playing local gigs, it's not always better to start touring and like right. doing whatever. In yeah. a lot of cases it is. And for me, I, I love what I do and this is it for me, but uh, it isn't for everybody. So I think especially in today, like the social media thing where you see everybody, everybody's everything who's in the, you see all their stuff, all the good side of everybody yeah. on their social media feeds. Like, well, you don't see that we had these problems happen or this mm -hmm. kind of stuff happen. And it's like, the gigs are awesome and that's the stuff that you post and you, you know, like all that stuff, it's great. But there is a lot of stuff that, you know, uh, one of my favorite things that I ever did was play at Red Rocks with Wolfpack and Trey Anastasio or Stasio. I, why am I screwing that? I, 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 we discussed this earlier. I don't, <laughs> we'll let that slide. Trey's amazing. And it was the, one of the most fun things ever. But the thing that, that's the thing, whatever. A lot of my friends are like, oh my gosh, that's so incredible. That's great. And it was great. It was incredible. The part that I didn't post is, man, I missed my daughter's kindergarten graduation that day. Hmm. And what kindergarten graduation, it's fun. It's a cool thing. She got through her first year. I'm super proud of her. But it's something that I missed. And it there that's this other thing that is part of that. I, I don't, I'm not like devastated that I missed it, mm -hmm. but it's like, oh man, it's a bummer. I wish I could have been there for her, yeah. you know? And it's those sort of things that you need to balance how much time away, what kind of things are you missing? If I was teaching and playing local gigs, I wouldn't have missed that. Right. You know? And there's other stuff that I'm going to miss that I wouldn't if I were home more. Mm. But this is what my family, this is what we signed up for. This is what I'm doing. This is part of my thing. That's, that's just part of the reality. So I think yeah. it's, it's I, I'm able to live with it because I, I don't feel remorse. I don't feel like, oh, you know, feel sorry for me about it. I don't. Like, that's just right. part of the deal. And, um, you know, you being a dad now, you got to learn how to balance that out. Yeah. And, I, and we're like in this thing together, yeah. you know. And what's important for me also is to have mentors that I can look up to like uh, my friend Paul Peterson has been a great, he's a bass player, uh, MD, writer. He was touring with Steve Miller Band for years, playing with Prince, doing all kinds of stuff. And he's been a great resource. He has two daughters also. And it's like, Paul, what do I do? Mm -hmm. And he's like, man, it's a job. Your family is number one. Always let them know that. Mm. And there's so much like little advice. So sometimes just send me a text about something where it's like, oh man, I needed to hear that. Yeah. Or, you know, guys that are just, just a couple, either a couple <coughs> steps, few steps ahead of you, or just right ahead of you that you can go to and say, help me out. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of freaking out. It's like, oh, don't freak out. This is just, just do this. Yeah. And then uh, having a support system around the entire thing is, is a great way to balance that. So um, I hope to be that for somebody else also down the line. Like, yeah, you missed this, but it's it's not the end of the world. You figure this out, blah, 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 do this. When you're home, be home. Right. When you're not on the road, be home, be present. Something I'm figuring out. 
<laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm still figuring this whole thing out. You yeah. know, I, I don't have it all the way together, but it's in a cool spot. So it's great. It's working. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm going to text you for advice. Then Good. The- yeah, please do, man. <laughs> I would love to keep the conversation going because yeah. you're, you're going to have advice for me too. And, and it, it'll be back and forth and yeah, that's, that's just part of the deal, especially yeah. musicians with families. It's, it's a different ball game, but yeah. it, it totally can work. You just have to, everybody has to be in on it. Right. You know, you're, you're in a team together, Mm -hmm. like you and your wife, your wife has to know what you're in for and what she's in for. And, uh, yeah, that's a big thing. Thank you so much. This has been really good and really, really fun. Uh, yeah, I was crying earlier with the, <laughs> the Gene Stone story. Well, thanks for having me, That's man. That's amazing. It's, yeah. It's, I think the moral is you never know what you're going to end up in. Just just go for it. <laughs> yeah, just do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you again. Yeah, thanks for having me. You can find the show notes for today's episode at startupmusician.co slash 24. There you'll find links to Corey online. See a photo of Corey playing with Gene Simmons as he's trust falling back into him with the crooked sunglasses on. It's amazing. Thanks again to Corey. Also, special thanks to Andrew Reyes, who made the Startup Musician theme. I've got a bonus for you. Actually, two bonuses. I'm going to play one of Corey's songs called Starks and Ewing from his first album. Now, since we recorded this interview in June, he's released another album, and it's also fantastic, and you should also check that out. And also, Wolfbeck came out with another album, and uh, he's all over that, and it's also fantastic, so you should go listen to both of those. But... This song, Starks and Ewing, is from his first album, and it's awesome. And the extra bonus is after you hear the song, if you go to the show notes at startupmusician.co slash 24, you can download the chart for it. And not it's not just like a whatever chart. Like, Corey actually made this chart, but it looks like you would buy it for like $15 from one of those uh, chart-making websites. It's, it's amazing. Anyway, let's listen to the song, then go get the chart, and then, you know, put in some work uh, uh, working on it, because it's, it's a really, really cool song. Let's just get to the song. I'm Brandon Shaw. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you in the next episode of Start a Musician in another eight months. I'm kidding hopefully sooner than that. <laughs>